0: money, we sold our assets that we had, motorcycles, Mark had a little bit of savings um, and we had to put that all together to uh, to try to fund this business and we knew we still didn't have enough money. So we went to a bank and we got a micro enterprise loan, a really small $20,000 loan from them which is pretty much just a credit card um, that we would have to pay back with the business but to get that, we had to have a business plan. Okay. So, the writing a business plan was driven by that need. I mean, you know, we, had, we had to demonstrate um, three years worth of revenue.
1: Welcome to A Table For Two, inspiring and educational interviews and stories with the best operators, owners, and entrepreneurs in business and the hospitality industry. My name is Phil Halani, and on today's episode, we chat to Sean and Mark, owners of Sydney's Best Gelateria, and Sons. Sean had a background in HR, and Mark spent 20 years making gelato at Bar Italia, which was one of the first artisan gelato shops in Sydney. After Sean was made redundant, they decided it was time to open their own business. After 12 months of searching and looking at multiple venues, they decided on a space in Redfern, and Chaconian Sons was born. Although the start of the journey was slow and ice cream being a very seasonal product, Sean and Mark knew by creating their unique gelato and focusing on guest experience as their point of difference, they would be able to build loyalty through their customers. Since opening six years ago, they have collaborated with some of the best hospitality venues in Sydney, including Noor and Continental Deli, while also featuring in every possible hospitality publication as having the best gelato in Sydney. Over the next three months, they will open two more locations, one in Glebe and also including our partnership at Gellafrenda. something we are very grateful to be part of. A quick shout-out to our good friends at Procal Dairies, Sonoma Bacon Co. and MD Providors, who are passionate about supporting small businesses, the hospitality industry, and also this podcast. So we've got a very, very exciting episode today. It's a special one because not only are you our, our 49th guest on um, Table for Two, but you're also our, our business partners for our new concept um, in Penrith, and Sons. Thanks for joining me, boys. Welcome. Welcome. It's, um, yeah, I've, I've, we've been talking about getting this happening for a while, and Sean, you kept ignoring me, so.
0: <laughs> no, not ignoring, just uh, giving us some time to uh, rehearse some answers.
1: Beautiful. Yeah. And see if you trust me, right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I guess, you know, obviously, you know, we we want to ask all the kind of basic questions, but at the same time, we also want to dive in more into your story. I guess we'd love to know how you guys met and how the journey started.
2: (laughs) Um, We met socially, um, just in Bondi, um, and we are partners as well as business partners. So we um, got into a relationship and then discovered that we wanted to start a business together so we both came from very different backgrounds um and we both have very different skill sets so we sort of thought it'd be a good idea um to start chaconian
0: something.
1: do you want to add anything to that one sean or no you that's good. pretty much a good, <laughs> summary of where that's a good summary that's a very good summary yeah yeah so i guess that's something i guess my next question is i'd love to know you both bring you know a great skill set to this business can you tell us about both tell us about your journey into into hospitality and also what you did before before hospital
2: Um, I've pretty much been doing this for about the last 25 years, Um, after I finished studying at uni um, I got a job um, just as a runner uh, for Bar Italia in Leichhardt which is a cafe that's been around for 50 odd years Um, and then an opportunity came up in their gelato factory, they were one of the only um, places in Sydney which actually manufactured and sold their own gelato so and they had a gelato chef who'd been there for 20 years before me Um, so I got a job down there, squeezing lemons, um, and scooping, um, and learning the mechanics of how to make gelato. Um, gelato makers are very notoriously secretive, so they don't give their recipes away. Um, but, you know, learning the skills that, um, that I learned in that couple of years with, um, with the head chef there, um, really kind of set me forward and, um, my old partner and I decided that we would, um, take over that business when he left. So we developed our own recipe for Baritalia, um, developed all of our own flavors and things like that. Mm. And um, yeah, and worked there for 20 years. Um, wow. So that's sort of how I did it. It was never, and for most of that 20 years, I never thought that I would, you know, it was something that I really wanted to do. And mm. then there came a turning point where I realized that, yeah, I just wanted to do this and um, start my own business. So, And during, that time um sort of towards the last few years of baritalia
1: sean and i met and decided that we wanted to yeah start a business together yeah baritalia is is an institute uh, not just in Leichhardt but in sydney yep. and i think it's it's everyone knows baritalia like yep. it's the, from their coffees you know full cream milk only yep. no no um variants and also obviously amazing gelato so what was it other than the skills that um of learning gelato what did Baritalia italia teach you for business um
2: for th- in relation to my business now, yeah. um, it taught me to keep things simple um, so and just to go with what you know. So um, it's it's a... Barretalia is pretty basic um, and it's been pretty basic and very successful at doing that. So when we developed Jaconian Sons, the first thing um, we wanted to do was to keep the flavours really simple um, and let the um, ingredients speak um, and to not um, complicate things. Um, there's, um, yeah, we just thought you know, if you if you want chocolate, you want chocolate. If you want peanut, peanut. Banana, yeah. it's banana. Um, if you want to combine a couple of flavours, you can get a couple of scoops. So that was really important to understand how we wanted to move forward for our gelateria. Um, and in regards to the Chicano Sons brand and the, the way we wanted it to look, um, we took a lot of inspiration from Bar Italia. It's been around for fifty years, um, and the, it's an accumulation of things. So, we didn't want Chicanian Sons to look retro. Um, we didn't want it to look modern. We didn't want it to be a particular kind of style. We just wanted it to be an accumulation of things, so that people wouldn't know if we'd opened yesterday or opened fifty years ago. Um, so that was yeah, I love of, that. Yeah, it was how we wanted Chicanian Sons to be, um, and yeah, I guess. What
1: else do you think? Yeah, I think, I'd love to know more about, we're gonna talk more about um, and Sons and the journey and how you guys started and the process, because always starting a business is always hard. Before you got into Gelato, Sean, what was your journey? (laughs) Um, I
0: moved to Sydney about 20 years ago. From? From Adelaide. um, Where I sort of, not long before that, left university studying nursing. Um, And in Sydney, I followed my mum's footsteps to go into company admin. My um, first job here was with a, a startup telecommunications company, just doing their, answering the phone calls, doing the invoicing, um, and literally there were two staff, the boss and myself, and um, once we sort of got through that business, I moved to another telco, a much larger one called Motorola, and uh, we moved into a logistics role with them, managing import-export from around the world into Australia. Um, not of mobile telephones, but of some of their broadband stuff that yep. they do. Um, and then with a the restructure there, I kind of decided to, to get out of it. And I really wanted to pursue a career and I headed towards the finance industry. That's where I sort of wanted to head myself, was to be involved with finance. Because there was money there. Yeah. I was making no money in telecommunications, in admin. So finance was a place I wanted to go. And I found a job with um, uh, an American insurance company as their office admin manager. Uh, it was kind of a mixed role, um, really, and it was sort of looking after HR um, for the whole company, um, but also managing the, um, the admin team, so the PAs and the reception team, and then also looking after the whole facility management as well. So we had about six offices around the country. And my job was to make sure the leasing was looked after, um, that their receptionists were looked after, things worked inside and out, and just seamlessly. So staff didn't have to worry about why is there no paper for the photocopier, somebody's on top of that kind yeah. of stuff, and that grew into much more of a HR role around the GFC time. So I all of a sudden, instead of growing the company, was shrinking it, and was involved with um, reductions week after. Uh, the word redundancies redundancies, is the word I was looking for. <laughs> redundancies week after week um, of those and it really sort of took a bit of a toll of course um, saying goodbye to people you've been you're making friends with yeah um, and but it, it also helped me to understand you know what happens in business going up and down and how you have to respond to a market and mm-hmm. and what that means how to Reskill people quickly as well to be able to retain staff um, and how to look for staff who are worth retaining mm. also. Um, so the big learning curves out of that. But I guess for me, that was the beginning of a, a real hospitality understanding as well. Looking after the reception area of the business meant that I was looking after how we um, managed all our guests coming into the business as well. Mm. So... Um, making sure that someone coming in for a meeting with us was, uh, they knew how to get to us, they knew when they got there that there was someone to meet them, that they were offered tea and coffees, you know, all of those basics of of simple meeting etiquettes Mm. and um, really understanding that, looking after our staff for their staff meetings and making sure that those things ran seamlessly as well to a point where I ended up being pretty much the PA for the managing director and I was... um, looking after her personal holidays, making sure her hotel was sort of all booked for her family, their passports were updated. And I just had this massive role of just taking care of people. And um, I think that's kind of what drew me towards um, what I was wanting to do, which was sort of to get into this hospitality Mm. kind of thing. And then what came about at the end of that after eight years was a redundancy for myself. Oh, wow. sort of I pushed my things self into that a little bit um, because I knew it was time to go okay so um, you were happy with that yeah it wasn't yeah. a bad thing it was always a shock when you made redundant of course. um and I was on holidays we were in kangaroo island having a bit of a family time and I got a phone call from my boss saying yep it's that time your job's done oh, wow. so come back to work next week and I'll tell you officially. <laughs> but enjoy the rest of your enjoy holiday. Enjoy the rest of your holiday. <laughs> so there was kind of a yes moment, but there was also oh, of a, bit, a bit sad to, to sort of go. Um, and it was in the middle of relocation of the business at the time as well, so there was lots of things to clear up before I, I left. Um, but that really freed my mind as to what I wanted to do and gave great opportunity to, to sit with Mark and sort of say, what can we do together? And how do we structure a business, how do we make it work, how do I get my skills and compliment. to complement? And yeah. then what skills between the two of us, bringing in the HR manager role here, is to say what skills are we missing and how do we go about accumulating those skills so that when we start the business, there's nothing absent, we haven't missed something okay. along the way. Yeah. So um, I threw myself into a job with um, uh, a grocery business um, to understand stacking shelves, fast-moving stuff, um, consumer stuff, how you go serving customers in a really high turnover environment as well, which is something I had no experience wow. with.
1: So you uh, just threw yourself in there and just learned, you wanted to know everything about just it. Just teach me everything. Yeah. You know, Did well, you have... see it. You
0: know, just stand back and watch uh, and observe, yeah. see how these things move. And then that moved really quickly into a management role with that business as well. I sort of, I guess, saw potential. Um, and I... Yeah, things went from there and then by then it was kind of time for me to say okay this is it we've got to start the business so i moved
1: out from there did you have before you started had you had any hospitality experience before you started in the supermarket grocery chain
0: well like i said only really in the the office environment where i was looking after our guests arriving into the business Mm -hmm. uh and making sure that they were they were looked after there but and and anticipating our our guests needs was kind of the biggest thing so which is what hospitality is to me any day of the week it's understanding the customer and and what their needs are before they realize what their needs are and that was really my job there was to make sure that everything was taken care of Mm -hmm. dinner bookings were were looked after and and all that kind of stuff as it was happening yeah
1: Yeah, I love that. And I think the the biggest key to hospitality is caring and, and like I said, attending to your your guest needs. I think you guys are such beautiful people and I think it's very natural to kind of transition into that. So talk to me about finding um, Chaconian Sons, you know, the story about Chaconian Sons. You obviously knew you wanted to start your own business. Talk to us about that journey of, you know, of saying, all right, cool, we're ready to go until what was the next steps after that? So we kind of decided that, yeah, we
2: wanted to start the business um, and it was just about trying to accumulate everything that we needed to... To make it happen, um, we searched for probably six months for the right space, um, signed laces on ones that didn't end up being the right space, and then refinding ones that we looked at before. It was a bit complicated. We knew the area that we wanted to focus on. We'd done. Um, a, we got together a pretty good business plan. Um, Sean put together an amazing novel of all the things that we, <laughs> uh, our expectations, and what how we wanted to move forward. Um, And we did some research on Redfern and, yeah, just discovered that it had um, the potential to have a hell of a lot of people um, in the one area. It's one of the most highly populated areas in all of Australia um, with growth potential. Um, We have a new metro. So all of these things were kind of prior to us opening the business, things that we understood about the area. Um, so once we'd secured the lace on the shop that we have now, um, and accumulated the equipment, um, yeah, it took about, it was probably about a 12 month journey from deciding that we wanted to do it to finally opening the doors. Um, and yeah, I think in the first couple of years we were just still growing and still accumulating. We didn't have a lot of money to start off with. So we really made do with what we had and every kind of next step. Was about us um, saving and working hard to to mm. to be able to afford a bigger machine, to be able to afford a bigger freezer. Um, yeah, we've done things really kind of at a at a slow pace, but at a reasonable pace. More where organic could, and yeah, well, we could afford to, and we sort of knew um, quite early on what we wanted to achieve, um, that we wanted to have somewhere um, that was like Japanian Suns now, but that journey has probably you know. It took us about four or five years to get to that point and and now we've had some rethinking and we're talking about expanding and expanding
1: um and going into other areas and things like that so it's constantly evolving. constant growth and and sean what how much how important was that business plan for you i mean i've had guests on here that have never had a business plan Guests that you know they're very, are very thorough with their business plan how important was the business plan for you guys for the success of Chinese Arts. <laughs>
0: there's, there's two answers there. So the first answer was um, extremely important because we had to apply for funding um, for, to start the business. Um, the, we had no money. We sold our assets that we had, motorcycles, Mark had a little bit of savings um, and we had to put that all together to to try to fund this business, and we knew we still didn't have enough money, so we went to a bank and we got a micro enterprise loan a really small $20,000 loan from them, which is pretty much just a credit card um, that we would have to pay back with the business. But to get that, we had to have a business plan. Okay, so the writing a business plan was driven by that need, and you know, we had, we had to demonstrate um, three years worth of revenue. and. On something that we'd never done before so you know we thankfully we had some numbers from mark for what had baritalia had done over his time there so we were able to take a a portion of that and start writing what we thought we might be able to achieve really you know what might have been possible none of it was true (laughs) none of it was accurate (laughs) it it was true Well, based Um, on true facts yeah the
2: numbers that we had (laughs) from baritalia and what they sold sort of, st- that was a good starting point for us. But Baritalia is a whole nother monster. So yeah. their gelato there, they employed two full-time gelato makers. Oh, yeah. So it was big business at Baritalia. Yeah. Um, so when we started Jukone and Sons, yeah, it, looks no- it looked nothing like those numbers. But it was still a great place to start.
0: Yeah, I, and I think our projection in terms of how the business would run based on the numbers that we put in is true. Yeah. You know, like it's just that they were a lot smaller than what we had hoped that they would have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were really optimistic. In any case, we got the money out of it and we did have a bit of a guide for ourselves. It made us think about things. Um, so going through those, that, that stepping process of going, you know, you write a market, do you write a marketing plan? Do you have a website? And, and when can you afford to do those things? Because that's really what we had to do. We couldn't afford a website in the first 12 months. That seems stupid because it's like $65 or something. We for couldn't a year, have, yeah, but, afford signage
2: wow. To begin with, like there were, there were things on the list, but there were things on the list that you know we just had to get to as we could afford.
1: But I, I, you know I think the beauty in that is is you you build it. You're only growing when you you maxed out your capacity. So you guys are busier, money's coming in. Or cool. Maybe it's time to put signage, or let's get the the bigger um, gelato maker, or things like that. So at the time, it's probably like, what do we do? But in theory, it's you're only spending money when you need to, and I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, what, what were other than the financial aspects? What were what were some of the initial challenges with, with starting up Chicanoan Sons?
2: Um,
1: one of the challenges was letting people know that we were here, um,
2: and letting people know um, to come to us and that we had a good product. So, it, you know, it was we started in the middle of winter um, in Redfern, so it's not always the greatest time mm-hmm. to open up a gelateria. Um, it was good because it was kind of a soft opening and got us used to being running a business. Uh, we weren't run off our feet, you know, from the very beginning. So it was a nice, easy start. Um, and then we started getting noticed um, by, you know, the press and stuff like that. So that kind of helped people and gave people an idea. and yeah. they realized where we were and what we were doing. So, but yeah, I think the, um, you know, it was that was one of the toughest things for me, just
1: getting people through the door, yeah. Yeah. Is that, would you say the same, from initial challenges, any other initial challenges for you, Sean, or? I think that's definitely one of the
0: biggest things is, how do you tell people where you are and what you're doing? Yeah. Um, You know, we don't have a big display, visual display, that's not our thing, it's the Potsetti style, even though we didn't start with that, it was still on the basis of that. So people can't see from the street what you're doing, if there's no signage that says what you're doing, to get people to step in to an empty shell and it was a really a, a difficult thing but then yeah once you start to build momentum once people start to know that you're here then they can start coming yeah and it, you know it did grow organic organically and yeah i couldn't have been more surprised you know that first weekend we opened we didn't even have gelato but you know the weekend after we did and we had people start coming through the door and we've never run the business at a loss in any particular day. Wow. We've always made money enough to cover the, the rent for the day and the staffing. I mean, maybe we didn't take any money from the first couple of months, mm. um, but you know we've never had the business run at a loss on any day that it's been yeah. going. And so that's been a, a real thing, big thing for us as well is just to keep that momentum going and the, the cost as low as possible and just um, continue through.
1: When did you guys think, all right, we got something really special here? How long in the process was it?
0: We always thought we
2: had something special. We wouldn't have, we wouldn't have started without thinking that we were gonna be successful, I don't think. Um, we always had that optimism. Um, and we knew we had a good product. Um, and we knew that people liked it, we just had to get it out there and get enough people to know about it. Um, but I think it was really, couple of years, there was, like, the second year was really tough for us. Um, the first year, it, everyone's excited and you've got lots of bloggers coming through and press coming through and then all of a sudden everyone's tried it and there's a bit of a lull. So our second year was pretty tough uh, on us. Um, but then, I don't know, there was like a, some kind of turning point where it just went bang and it was like, oh, okay, this is, it's going to take care of itself. It's, yeah. Everything's going to be all right. And then I think that, um, For me, another turning point was uh, COVID. So 18 months ago when we went into shutdown, um, we didn't really shut down, we just kept going. And normally um, in winter, we get big highs and big lows because it's seasonal. Um, But that winter, I really was in doubt whether or not we would get through financially. Um, But we survived and we bloomed. throughout COVID and because everyone was kind of locked in Sydney, no one was away on holidays and people wanted to get out of the house. And even if it was just for five or 10 minutes just to get a gelato, we actually did really well. Um, so it made this winter that we've just had a little bit easier. And I think I'll look, you know, I can still look forward to the next winter knowing that the business is going to stay afloat. And I, I definitely know for every gelateria, for everyone that works seasonally, um, winter's tough. And it's really hard to keep your business going and to keep everything happening when you're not bringing in as much money as you do in summer. But understanding that seasonality um, for me is, you know, it's it's going to be okay. And I think once you once Training Suns got through a winter, you know, which was all right, that was a big turning point for me. Yeah,
0: yeah, getting over the overcoming the, the hesitation around what what winter means in this business, yeah. uh, coming from insurance and other industries where uh, everything is steady. You know, you get the same level of income all year round, no matter what, because people have to pay insurance premiums all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I was used to that flat income stream and there's only growth when you grow the income. Whereas in this business, to see the seasonality, I, I'm still shocked. Uh, six, 7 years in now um, about how much difference they can be between summer and winter but as Marcus just said like uh, coming through COVID and seeing uh, the support from the local community but also what's achievable uh, when you just stay focused on what you're doing and you try not to uh, obsess about what everybody else is doing uh, you just focus on yourself and um, you're able to just keep going forward, uh, and I think that's been the big, big thing for me, um, is, is to do that. It's just.
1: What, what what other things can you do? I mean, for a gelato shop, you can't do much. When it's cold, it's cold, and you offer gelato. So there's not many other things you can do. Is it has there been any other options you guys have have entertained to think how can we create more revenue during winter? Because reality is, you you are. Every year you're open, you're going to create more loyalty. People still want gelato in in winter, just not as much as they do in summer. But what other options have you been able to bring into your business to help kind of that trade?
2: So one big thing for us was um, opening the space up to eat-in dining and having uh, plated up desserts. Um, So we started doing Sundays and splits and and having more of a beverage menu. And then we decided that we wanted to have a liquor license as well. So those kinds of things where people can come in after dinner, uh, even if it's cold and rainy, they can sit down and they can enjoy gelato and a drink um, or a coffee. That's kind of really helped us um, through winter. Um, It helps us through summer as well. Um, At the moment, obviously, with restrictions for COVID, we don't have the dining space open, but it's it's a big help for us. And it was the first year that we kind of, when we got the... Um, the new display, and we opened up the dining space. It had a, quite a big impact for us to, in that first winter.
0: It really opened things for our customers because they have, in their local area, there's a choice between a restaurant and a bar. Okay. And, and that's it. There's not a lot else in Redfern. So providing a different space where people could finish their dinner in a restaurant, but they're not yet ready to go out to a bar or a pub, mm-hmm. Um, just gave a different space as well or they've been to another bigger restaurant uh, and they want to head home but they don't want to, and they don't want to eat dessert in that restaurant they've kind of had enough it's time to get up and move and we can be that stop on the way home you yeah. can have a different venue for a dessert you can either be a single scoop or you can go uh, a Sunday you can continue with a bit of a nightcap if you're a drinker um, they just provided a, a different option for people and I think that that it was one of my big drivers for those winter periods when you're saying, how else can we raise money? It is What else do people want to do? Um, what, what can't they do at the moment? And, and how do we do it without changing the focus of our business? Let's not turn into a full-blown restaurant where we're offering main courses and entrees or a cocktail bar because we don't want to exclude kids. You know, we, we want to have kids in here as much as possible, but we want the kid to have a scoop of gelato and mum to have a glass of Prosecco. Or you know something like that, so it's a bit more family oriented and you're able to do things that just feel and are easy and yeah. um, just driving different revenue streams as well. I mean we're not driving big money through alcohol, but it just provides another option for how to consume yeah. in our space and, and make it comfortable and you know our experience in Italy has certainly been that um, alcohol and gelato can go really well together, yeah. um, particularly our focus has been on Amaro's, so they're really focused on after-dinner digestives, and, and that sits really well with, with gelato as a dessert. So, yeah.
2: And we never shifted the focus away from gelato, like we're at gelato gelateria, that's what we are, um, and gelato is our biggest seller. So everything that we wanted to bring in to add on, to, to help us through winter and to help with add-on sales, um, and gelato is at the core. Um, we knew that we didn't want people just to come in and have a drink we wanted people to come in and have a gelato but then have a drink yeah okay yeah so gelato is still the main event yeah um,
1: it's still the star, the star of the show right yeah, like, yeah. Exactly. it
2: has to be that's yeah. what we are we're a gelato arena. Yeah but I love I
1: love the fact that you guys have thought outside the box and thought cool how do we how do we create that revenue during the winter which obviously will follow through in summer as well yeah. um but finding different ways it's very cool what what's the you guys are always featured in magazines and and the you know the publications best gelato in Sydney in the top 10 always what's what separates you know the you guys with the other you know gelato shops in Sydney
0: I'd like to think customer service is a big thing yeah. um The the people who are making it are serving it to you. You We don't have a big staff count here. Um, Hopefully that's changing with a bit of growth soon, but um, Mark and I will be serving you gelato and um, we have that direct interaction with our customers. And I think that that's a level that you may not get in other gelaterias, The the actual person who made it is serving it to you. Um, Being able to talk about the ingredients and um, pass on understandings about why we use certain ingredients what we call certain flavours certain flavours, why, why they stand out from other places who make it um, and, and it, yeah, I think overall after that then it becomes the ingredients that we use which are different to what everybody else does we make our own flavouring you can't get our caramel flavour anywhere else, you so can only get it from us
1: everything's made, whatever can be made is made fresh from you guys Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, or we source um, good quality
2: we always source good quality ingredients for people that can make things really well. Okay. Um, so obviously we can't make our own matcha and, and things like that, and there are other ingredients that we can't get, but we, we look for and try to get the best ingredients that we can. And I think that all the gelaterias that are on those lists, um, and thankfully we're included in those lists um, often, um, they're all doing their own thing and they're all doing it really well. Um, and yeah, and they all have their own point of difference. Um, and I think, yeah, so I think Japanian Sons just has that point of difference, because our gelato is, you can only get our gelato here, because we make that's it, cool. um, and we're gonna have all our own flavors and do our own thing.
1: And um, I think that works the same way with a lot of other gelaterias that are on those lists. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I love that. I think, what well, you know, obviously gelato, there's only so much you can charge for gelato, right, and it's generally like it's across the board. Some might charge a dollar more, a dollar less. How do you guys maintain, you know, the high-quality ingredients that you do? Because then you've got the generic kind of ice cream shops that are just preservatives and stuff in it that you know make you feel crap after you eat it. But how do you maintain profit- profitability with also creating high-end products? I think making everything yourself
2: um, really cuts costs. Um, if we were to buy um, base and we were to buy ingredients from um, like uh, places that sold gelato products, um, we'd be paying a lot more for it, um, and then you know everything else on top of that. But I think when you you know when you're buying the milk and cream, when you're buying um, you know sugar, when you're making things in the kitchen, which you know making all of your own flavorings, you're starting with the basic ingredients, and um,
0: I think that is where we save some of our
2: money. It it
0: costs in terms of time to make those things. I mean, that's what you're buying when you buy a prepackaged flavouring ingredient. You're not spending money on time, but you're spending money on somebody else's time to do it outside of it. So So it it seems like you're just buying the ingredient, but actually you paid a lot of money for the time to make that, to import it from whichever country it's come from, um, to paying all those taxes on top of those things as well. Um, And then for... And to have someone send it to you like, all of those things just build up over time but when we started off we had a lot of spare time so we had time to be able to make the, all those okay. ingredients yeah. but that's a real understanding is that that's where the point of difference is when it comes to flavour is that yeah we make it and it, sometimes there's some flavour variation between it from week to week month to month but that's part of what being an artisan producer is about you respond to what's happening in the moment You know, we don't have mango in winter, usually, um, because mangoes don't grow in Australia in winter. And when you can get Mexican ones in winter, that's great, but they're gonna taste like they've traveled halfway around the world. Mm -hmm. uh, and They've been in cold storage for months. So those aspects of flavor transfer to the gelato. it, It might be mango in winter, but it doesn't taste like Australian Aussie mangoes do in the peak of summer. You know, and this is a, a big educational thing that we go through with our customers. Is we, it has to be seasonal, and we need to work within the season. Mm. And that's just how we how we do it.
1: Yeah, and I think people that appreciate the art and artisan of, of gelato, they, they appreciate that. They know that every season they're going to get what's in season, right? So I think that's pretty special. Talking about people, how how do you guys maintain your staff levels and and creating a culture where it's you know you do get loyalty from your staff? We're pretty low
0: staff levels. Um, We've just uh, our longest serving staff member has been with us now in just on two years. Um, And around that, we have to look at what that base level is in in winter for us. So at our quietest time, what can we afford to staff? And then looking at summer, when are our busiest times and those sorts of things. So we bring in more casual staff over the the summer season. and then reduce it as we get towards winter. And that usually, I hate firing people or not giving people shifts, so we look for natural attrition. So um, if people are leaving, we try to sort of get them to leave at the end of our busy season in March and stuff. So um, if I'm looking at university students, then I'm looking at them and saying, okay, so you're going back to uni now, What's your study habits looking like? What's your load looking like? How do we not interfere with well, what's going on there? And, and letting things happen and not being afraid to let staff go as well. You know, like it's a big loss when you lose someone, you've gone through training and all that kind of stuff. But if you don't let them go, then you don't get a chance to bring in some fresh fresh yeah. eyes to things and 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 just yeah, fresh people in there. So we don't have a huge staffing thing that we have to go okay. up and down with yep. all, all the time um, but yeah we use casual casuals over summer and, and manage it that way
1: yeah. and talking about you know people and, and managing at the moment it's slow, but your growth is quite you guys are going to grow quite quickly over the next few months obviously we've got a store in penrith opening together and then you guys have a store in Glebe. plus you have your wholesale accounts which we'll talk about as well what's the strategy there how, how do you guys maintain what you're doing so well here while you're growing to multiple locations That's a good question.
0: Can we we come back to that in about a month's time? Part two, part two. (laughs) Um,
2: I think that, yeah, obviously having staff helps to be able to maintain that growth. Um, We've just, um, it's the first time uh, in the history of Jaconian Suns that we've actually got someone in the kitchen to help me, uh, besides Sean. So having another dedicated set of hands in there really helps, especially with the production side of things. So, um, yeah, I think we kind of lean on our staff um, to be able to, to grow, we have to. Um, so having, um, you know, the counter manned all the time um, frees up um, Sean and I to do other things in the business. Um, so that's, that's sort of how I understand it. I think
0: expressing to our staff our need for quality and understanding uh, is really important. So. That if I if I can't be at the front serving gelato because I need to be at the back making it, that the staff who I leave behind at the front counter have the same passion and enthusiasm for what we're doing uh, when and we knowledge. walk away and knowledge of what, yeah. what's happening, because that's part of the quality equation as well, is the delivery of what we're doing, not just the making of it. Yeah. Okay. Um, and and then, I think our growth strategy is is that as well. So when we're training new staff in our kitchen, it's about imparting the quality assurance in them and making sure they understand why we need levels of quality why there are tests in in place why tasting is important um, why the ingredients that we use are super important it's not just throw this together with this like you need to follow what we're doing because this is the quality that's coming through and, and, yeah, on the Quality Assurance, we taste stuff constantly. Every
1: Tough, Dutch, tough job, huh? Tough job. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, Someone's I don't do, do it. it. <laughs> Mark does most of it.
0: I just get the banana tasting. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's part of it as, as well, as getting staff to understand you need to taste mm. it uh, and you need to understand if there's a, a change in the flavour, why is there a change in the flavour. Those are... Yeah. So, yeah, so the
2: staff definitely helped. But I, and I also think that we've just... Um, in the last couple of months we're transitioning and understanding and um looking at our growth and we've invested um in more machinery as like as well um so that growth and capacity um is now
1: bigger yeah. what, what's your biggest fear about growing you guys obviously got two in the pipeline but what's the biggest fear about growing as you keep opening stores
2: um I don't know if I have any fear.
1: That's good. Um, I probably should be a little bit nervous.
2: You <laughs> just—I'm um, always worried about the quality and about you know spreading ourselves too thin. Um, and we need to make sure we we maintain a you know a good level and a good consistency. Um, so that kind of you know makes me a little bit anxious that we'll be able to maintain it over you know several stores. Um, but yeah, I don't think I'm scared about
1: getting bigger. That's awesome. Feel the same, Sean?
0: Yeah, pretty much.
1: That's awesome. That's great. That's great to have that. I think because you guys back your product so much and you know you have a great product, and again, customer service, What, what's important as you grow? I mean, your systems and procedures and things like that, is that something you're working on now as you grow the business?
0: Absolutely. Um, <laughs> coming from the background that I've had, making sure that we have documented procedures in place for everything, uh, it kind of sits well with me uh, and it's something that I've been trying to impart with Mark is about if you're going to teach people how to do things they need to be able to rely not on their brain necessarily to know how to do stuff but to have documented ways of doing it down to you know what things have to get done during a shift in the front of the house how do you go about doing things in the kitchen um, where, where are things located what's the expectation of these things and if, if we uh, expect to be able to walk away like we will over summer on the Sundays and not be physically in one of our shops so we can have a, a weekend, at least on one day, yeah. then our staff need to be able to rely on our word which is written in the shop somewhere. So being able to, f- I expect staff to know it, but if they fail to remember something, they need to be able to rely on how to go back on that, that aspect of it and, and check what they should be doing and how they should be doing it. And then yeah looking at the food service stuff that we do as well we spent i spent a bit of time over the first over last year's COVID initiation um setting up an ordering system for that to happen so that um all of our food service customers can log in and manage their own ordering stuff that we have proper time constraints in there so that there's not too much pressure on the kitchen to deliver things mm. um that there's enough space in there to get deliveries um So that was a a big focus for us to be able to be in in the right level of capacity once everyone come back from lockdown and wants to start ordering again, which is what we're seeing at the moment. But we have a system in place which is handling that and giving us tools to communicate to the kitchen. Mm -hmm. It's looking as well after the finance side of things. So people get automatically charged and I don't have to spend time on the phone looking for uh, their accounts department who don't want to answer the phone because they know that owe us money. You give us a credit card when you sign up and we charge you when we deliver. Everything's like sorted. Yeah. yeah.
1: How important is that having that skill set You know, where obviously you can both do each other's job now but someone looking at the back end someone looking at the producing the gelato and then obviously you guys working together for the overall experience. Well I don't know if I can do Sean's job <laughs> um, but I know how to do mine and luckily Sean does his very well. That's awesome. Um,
2: but I think that the systems that Sean's put in place um in the beginning, it might have seemed like they were too big for our business, but we've grown into them. Um, so having all of those things in place has been really, really important, and it's been a lot easier um, with
1: all of those systems. That's why you're not scared to grow, because you've implemented those systems that you thought were too much at the start, but now it's yeah. it's working. and so. Sean,
2: Sean saw that, um, and he had the vision to say, we need to do this now before things get out of hand. Um, so implementing... Um, the those was really
1: you know kind of it's really helped our business yeah and, and you guys have obviously collaborated with some really cool restaurants two of probably my favorite in sydney continental and also nord how did those opportunities come about
2: um with the deli um we um have always been eating at their restaurants um so porteno um and continental, continental deli we love what they do they really nice people, they make really good food, and they make everyone feel really, you know, comfortable in their, yeah. in their environments. Um, so Sarah, who's one of the owners of the, in the group, um, came in and just kind of approached us with an idea that they wanted to do a can, like they'd been canning their cocktails. Um, and they wanted to do, they wanted to call it Neapolitan, play on the tin kind I of like idea. That. So we just found a way to make it work um, for them. Um, and yeah, they loved it. So we've been doing that for six years. Nearly six years.
1: you had been open. 2014 was it you opened? Fifteen. 15? We opened in fifteen. Okay. They opened
2: a little bit just oh, after right. us. But we pretty much yeah. It was not you know, long after. Not long open. after that that we started yeah. making the cans for them. Um, That's credit
1: to you boys because it's it's a it's a they could. Pretty much anyone they wanted, they could get to make the gelato because it's such a big name. But for them to come to you guys shows not just you know you have great gelato, but you also have a great product, a brand, and, and, and things like that. So, yeah, I think
2: they understood where we were coming from, and we definitely understood where they were coming from and what they wanted. Um, and yeah, it's nice to work with nice people. Mm. Like at the end of the day, we wouldn't have been doing it for the last six years if they weren't great people to work with. Of course. Um, and the same goes for Nor. Um, we were doing some work for um, the fish butcher up in Paddington um, with a chef that we used to work there, um, and he introduced us um, to Paul. Paul. Paul um, Farag, the head chef, yeah, right? He's yeah, he's now the head chef at Nor. Um, and Nor's a machine; mm. like they they go through a lot of everything because they're you know really popular. And he just understood his capacity about what he could produce in regards to gelato and ice cream. So he sort of thought, I'm going to outsource that out and I'm just going to go to these guys. We did some kind of work with each other at the fish, butchery, we knew the quality of what we produced. Um, he had some ideas, so he kind of came to us and said, can you make this happen? And we were like, yeah, sure. So, um, and again, he's a really nice guy. So it's not hard working with people that are of really nice. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so
1: that's kind of been, been fun. Yeah, I love that. The, the boys, obviously, if you had him on the podcast, and what he's created with all his brands, it doesn't matter what he opens, if it's cafe, Asian rest, cuisine, Lebanese, he's just been able to nail them all. And, yeah. and again, credit to you boys for being part of that, and it's pretty special. So, um, you know, there's obviously always in the media, you see the amazing stories, how great your gelato is, and how great everything looks from the outside. But every episode, I like to talk about, so I want to talk about, you know, the, the, the bad times as well. So people can understand that it's not always good times. And have you guys gone through some tough times in business, and if so, how have you how have you overcome
0: them? Winter is always the toughest <laughs> time for us, and yeah. and as I was saying earlier, it's the time that I sit there and I think, what the hell are we doing? What have we done wrong? Why is no one coming through the door? Um, it's that realization that this is winter and people don't eat that much gelato in winter still hasn't sunk in
1: six years later still feeling i
0: still feel i mean i've learned to deal with it now Mm. (laughs) after a few years of experience but i still have those those moments on those freezing cold wet windy wednesdays and i think i've got to pay the rent today and why aren't people coming through the door should we be posting more on social media should we be running a special should we be launching a new flavor should we, or should we just keep on keeping on. And that, at the end of the day, is the thing that sort of holds me back, is it holds us in, is to say, just keep doing what you're doing because you do it really well. And don't worry about all of that other stuff, don't just stay focused and, and believe that it might be raining today, but the sun will come out tomorrow and people will be back. I love and, that.
2: And I think, yeah, there's no doubt, we we each have um, bad days, but having a partner in the business is great because it's not very often that we both have bad days together, so if one is having a shitty day, the other one can kind of, you know, carry it yeah. and it works both ways um, and I think that's, um, yeah, there's no doubt that business is tough, every single day it's tough mm-hmm. and there's challenges every single day, um, but having someone to, you know, go on the journey with um, really helps. I kind of, I've got to, Good mate, who's um, kind of doing what we're doing, but on his own, not on his own, but running a business um, kind of by himself, and it's tough, it's really, really hard. And like, and you know, having a bad day sometimes, if you're on your own, it's not great, yeah. But definitely, being a team really, really helps out.
1: Mm. How do you balance? I mean, having that support is so, so important, and you guys obviously care about each other so much. How do you kind of balance that lifestyle between? work and then going home you know business partner life partner you know you're essentially with each other 24 7 so you must like each other otherwise it'd be awkward right but how do you maintain that balance between hey this is this is work and this is home
0: i think we both have work personalities and home personalities and when we're at work we both have a job to do and we just get on with doing that job and there's moments where we're real people with each other as well we're not just colleagues But we have really different jobs to do, and we each have to focus on those. Because if we don't, the business loses traction. And then we have to say, but when we go home, we have to turn off. We try not to talk about work, (laughs) doesn't work. But uh, we try not to talk too much about what's happening at work. That's not to say that we don't come up with good ideas and business planning and take some brave steps when we're having a Sunday a lunch somewhere. You know, I love sitting down by the beach and just having a chat about reflecting on the business and spending time together but reflecting on what could we do better or what's coming up in the next couple of months and you know that kind of casual business meetings that sort of happen. But really trying to separate for ourselves time between work and home. Yeah, I mean,
2: I mean, you would know with your partner and you go home and you talk about work because it's, it can be an outlet for you, you're away from work, and, you know, and we do the same, we talk about things at home that we probably couldn't talk about in the workspace in front of staff and customers just, and things like that, um, so we do talk about you know, work at home, but yeah, we generally do coming up with ideas and things and frustrations and things like that, so that's kind of us being a couple at home. Um, I think in the shop, yeah, we both have roles to do, and we're very focused on those roles so that the business can kick on. Um, and it, everyone sort of thinks, oh, but you're with each other all the time, twenty four hours a day. But it, when we're at work, it kind of feel doesn't really feel like we're in the same room sometimes because we're both busy doing our own thing. Yeah,
1: one's making gelato, one's front a house. Yeah, and, and I mean,
2: we you know, we definitely do communicate and we work as colleagues when we're on the when we're in the shop. Uh, we're really focused on our own jobs and we do really, really different things in business. Um, and I think that really helps us just to have those work personalities and to separate um, our personal life from work.
1: Yeah, and you guys mentioned, you know, when you first opened, it was like, how do we get people to try our product? And how do we, how do we get people to come into our store and know that we're here? How important has social media been for your business? And what do you guys have? Is there a strategy you have in place? Is there a PR agency that you hire? Like, h- how does that work?
0: We've done everything ourselves. Um, I think um, over the first six years of our, the first five years of the business, we invested maybe less than $500 in marketing. Wow. Um, Cause we didn't <laughs> have any money to do marketing. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, option? there was no signs at yeah, the start, yeah, like yeah, you said, yeah. Exactly, There uh, was, was an option? We painted it ourselves. When there was a sign, we painted it ourselves and then we got somebody else to do it, a quick sign for us, which is still there. Um, we uh, were doing some marketing. We were going out and doing some markets and stuff like that. So that was a bit of publicity. We were answering questions from, social, from other people in social media. Uh, we were going, doing talks with the city of Sydney. Our time was invested in giving up our time. Yeah. Every and time
2: someone f- asks us to do yes, something, we'll do yes, we'll do it. Wow. Because we couldn't afford, we, can't, we don't have a budget for at, like promoting ourselves. So any opportunity for somebody else to promote us, we would go yes. So And it just happened to be that those people that were asking us to, to do things were pretty good, big, <laughs> people. Yeah. Well-connected people, well-connected yeah. people. So it worked to our advantage. But we, we
0: never said no to... Yeah. Even things to like uh, the work we did with Continental Delhi to begin with was about, in part, for us about publicity as well. So we can't afford to, to do a whole big publicity thing, but they can... And we know that as a collaboration, this is going to be a big thing. So yeah. if we can get something out of what they do, then that, that's really good, good for us. Yeah, and yeah. that's how
2: we work social media. Like um, if they put our can, like in the beginning we had X amount of followers on, on Instagram but they had 10 times more than us. So we knew that if our can ended up on their Instagram saying, and we were tagged in it, that some of their customers would come to us as well. So. They're the kinds of things, and that's how we kind of use social media in the beginning to to try and build our brand as well. Uh, and then, oh, sorry, no, I was gonna say, and then there was like in the very early days, there was bloggers and things like that that would kind of come in and kind of promote it as well.
0: Um, and and yeah, all it, every single thing helps. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, last year during the beginning of COVID, the city of Sydney gave were giving out grants, uh, and we receive one of those grants and part of that was to invest money for ourselves in making ourselves more publicly visible and uh, capable and also advancing our technology so um, what we did was we we got some (laughs) signs so now there's signs on the awning it it took five years and a bit bit of money that we didn't have which came as a grant to us to put some signage on the awning Um, but we also invested in having our own app um, which was a time investment there we got the online ordering for our uh, wholesale food service customers set up. And we also engaged with someone to produce a professional website for us, which we hadn't had until that time. And that involved doing a photograph shoot, writing copy, and then actually publishing the whole website itself. Um, And that was all paid for by City of Sydney. Out of that, we then engaged the same company to... um, take on some of our social media management as well. So we used photos from that photo shoot to start publishing on into social media. And then over the last summer, we, we really ramped that up and invested a bit more of our own money into it because we really saw the benefit of it yeah. to outsource the social media stuff while we focused on the business. Um, we, we just don't have the headspace for it over summer to yeah, be able to sit down and go, well, we need to post the... This number of times in a week, and it needs to. We need to write copy for it, and we need to run it on multiple platforms, and then so we just outsourced the, that uh, over a period of time, and it was amazing. We just we rock up on a Monday, do a photo shoot, and then we've got a couple of months worth of photos yeah. sort of sorted, and
2: and the the company that takes care of it posted three a week, and we we got a really good response from it. People really started noticing um, uh, the quality of the photographs. Um, and the context and, and the, sorry, the copy, and everything like that, like it really, I think it really changed
0: Um is it, is social it, media. How
1: important is it crucial for your business to have social media in this day and age?
0: I think it's really important to be present uh, with social media and we know that we can get a response from it as well. Um, we, if we were to put a new flavor on there today, we know that within about 15 minutes, someone will be through the door asking for that flavour. So wow. there can be a really instant reaction to it. Um, but you have to, like all things, use caution with social media as well, and not live your day by it. Um, you know, if we—that's as a, as a business, not living your day, let alone as a consumer. Um, but I know that if we post something at the wrong time of day on the wrong day of the week. We can have zero response to it mm-hmm. um, you know by comparison it could be um, a quarter of the likes against an Instagram post um, at one o'clock on a Friday afternoon as opposed to four o'clock on a Friday afternoon yeah so understanding that is really important as well as when the consumers are, are actively engaging with those platforms as to when is a good time to uh, send a message out so right.
2: we've, we've, Use it um, as a tool to communicate as well, which I think is a really important yeah, aspect so of it. Um, so, like if you know anything can happen, you know if you have to close for a day, you can put it onto Instagram, and lots of people will see it. Um, at times, it's more reliable than doing a Google search to know what businesses are up to. Yeah. Just check their Instagram because generally they'll be updating that more often than they'll be updating their, Google, their hours on Google. So we use it. In that respect, um, and it's I guess our customers and people know that Instagram is, although it's for the company, it's also personal. And the, generally, the person behind it, even if we um, hand on that responsibility to somebody else over the summer months, we're still in charge, and we're still we still have it on our phone, and we can update and we can respond immediately. And I think that's one of the really good
1: things about things like Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, the power of Instagram and social media, and, and it becomes you know Instagram's digital menu for a lot of people, you know, and yeah. new flavors and things like that. Yeah. We, other than outside of social media, how do you guys try to stay relevant? I mean, is it just a matter of just creating new flavors and things like that?
2: Um, lost for words. Um, I don't know if we uh, if we try to stay relevant as much as just try to put our heads down and do what we do. Um, I think that that's one way that um, to move forward. I mean, we don't want to um, be left behind, but I think that if we focus on making quality,
1: um, a good quality product, that you'll always kind of be relevant. Yeah, I think I think you nailed that because I think a lot of people try to be gimmicky or trying to do crazy things to create publicity. But you guys have have done something so well, and it's a matter of just people as many people trying that product, and then it's like, okay, cool, we want gelato, and it's how we met because. We've heard so much about your product through just organic, you know, word of mouth, and then we tried it, and then the next minute, we, you know, we're in partnership. <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, that's, that's the way it should be. Absolutely. It's, yeah, it just happens organically. And, yeah, I really believe in just doing the best you can with what you've got. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's sort of what we try to do. We don't try to, you know, come up with some, like, a new flavor, you know, every week. We just focus on the stuff that we like doing, um, and it seems to work.
1: And here I am asking you guys to create crazy colour flavours for Penritha. (laughs) What's a piece of advice um, that you'd give to someone that if they came up to you and said, hey, we want to start our own business, what advice would you give us? It can be gelato, it could be anything in hospitality.
2: Um, I reckon just have a good product. In regards to gelato, I think that that's the one thing that that we had to begin with was a good product. Um, That really helped. And then having know, some really good things in place to um, make sure your business moves forward. Um, having someone that's good with money um, <laughs> <That> el- helps. <laughs> helps. Um, someone with a clear business mind. Um, but yeah, having having a good product, I think,
0: or something good to sell is really great. And just get on with it. Like, yeah. Try not to stall or find reasons why you shouldn't quite go into it this week. Um, just just do it. get in there and, and give it a go and if it doesn't work be uh, reflectively critical mm-hmm. of yourself stand back and say why isn't it working and what could I do better or change or, mm-hmm. or vary not this is a disaster just refocus yourself and, and listen to the people who are around you and see if they have some really specific advice for you um, as well and mm-hmm. then throw half of that away and go back to your original belief in what you can do so Everyone's going to give you advice on what to do in the business. Listen to it and then filter it out as well. Um, those people don't know you or your product or what you're doing, and just it's better if you stay focused on it.
1: Yeah, you might someone might give you an hour's worth of advice, but there'll be five minutes there that's very valuable, and the rest is. And there sometimes that's something with this podcast where they might pick up one or two pieces of advice and put it into their business. So I appreciate you guys giving us that those kind of advice. Talking about advice and things like that, how do you deal with reviews? What well, <laughs> I mean, you guys have a pretty good review platform. Um, I think it's 4.8 out of 5 on Google. What you know, ha- Have we slipped? No, you're good, you're good, you're good. I mean, you're always going to get the haters and whatnot, but how do you deal with the negativity? Um, we
2: don't comment. Okay. Um, so we just have a general rule um, that if something pops up on social media and it's a negative comment or a negative review on Google, um, we have no comment about that. Um, I think that um, it's valid... For people to have their own opinions of things, and you know we understand that people want to, um, you know, tell you about their experience. So, be it good or bad, um, we tend to just keep our mouths closed. Um, there's only been one occasion um, where we tried to um, kind of what, we approached Google. It was a negative review, but it wasn't just a negative review. It um, pointed out a member of our staff. Um, and it uses a really inappropriate language. used inappropriate language yeah. in the review and it was up on Google. So that's the only time that we um, asked Google if they could remove the review um, because we specified that you know, it, it was inappropriate. Um, but as far as I know... Yeah,
0: I, the criticism that was there was, was fine. I'm totally, I don't have a problem with the criticism. Yeah. It's the way that they addressed of course. a member of staff. Um, Which was was actually really homophobic, and um, we were both shocked. And it took us two days to sort of work out to even think how could we start to respond to this because it's you know we have that really strong idea that we just don't respond. But this we both felt really angry about the language that was used in it.
2: And I think if it had been used about Sean or I, we would have been given a shit. Um, But because it was a member of staff and it was out of our control and it was on our platform. Um, that's why we felt so strongly about it. Even though the member of staff, when we sat them down and, and talked about it, they really didn't kind of care. Um, but I think that we cared because mm. we felt like um, we were just hurt. that um, yeah, The language was hurtful. Yeah,
1: that's not okay. And good on you for dealing with the way you dealt with it. Because, like yeah. I said, you generally you won't, but when it comes to that, you've got to put your foot down and say, no, that's not cool. Yeah, well,
0: yeah if things happen like that, to not say anything is just as bad as yeah. saying it. Yeah. um not a lot came of what what happened out of it and i think that's one of those times where we go home and we debrief with each other about the angry stuff which happens sometimes in a business um and it took us a week or so or more to really let that anger go but um yeah we we had to talk through it ourselves to get over the whole thing and and not issue a response in a public forum which could have been really easy to do but we went out we talked to a couple of media experts we talked to that person in social media who we outsourced to how do you think we could deal with this in a constructive positive way rather than being negative about it as well Um, you know so one of our responses was um, to create the love is love on a stick flavor and donate money to lbgdqi Um, charity um, which was our own and we didn't make it a positive thing out there it was just our personal reaction was to say let's actually just make somebody else stronger out of a negative thing yeah that's beautiful yeah it's it's
1: i think the the best way to fight that is doing a positive making a positive out of it you know so but also calling out when it's inappropriate and it's not fair that they say things like that so what what's what's something you want people to say about your 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 product and your shop after they've tried your your gelato positive thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what time can i come back for another scoop yeah <laughs> what time do you close um that's it's always it, good to hear that someone wants to come back um that they enjoyed it i think that's one of the biggest buzzes i get out of serving is uh the joy that somebody experiences when they taste something and at the moment we can't see it so much because of face masks um, and people obviously can't lick through a face mask but when there's no mask in place Has anyone, try,
1: has anyone ever done that accidentally not realising Yeah,
0: believe <laughs> <laughs> <It's come laughs> no, no, we've all done it uh, <laughs> we've all done it yeah, yeah. but the, the instant gratification for me is that expression on someone's face when they try our gelato for maybe the first or second time or even a repeat customer and there's just this there's a I always say there's a moment in a man's eyes when he's suddenly a five year old again yeah um and everything around them disappears and it happens with women as well but men it's particularly obvious that the whole world just disappears around them and they turn into a five-year-old and they've just got their favorite sweets at the sweet shop or their favorite ice cream from the ice cream shop and it's just that that's a moment of happiness for me and um, it's something i talk with our staff about when we hire them is that customers are always happy because of what they're getting they really want and they're going to be happier afterwards because they're really gonna
1: enjoy what they taste. Yeah, I, lo- I love that happiness, like it's so true, like it's the happiest product in the world, isn't it? So, yeah.
2: so Not many customers walk in here miserable, and if they do, they walk out a little bit happier. happier. Um, yeah, and we even say like when we've got a queue of people going up the street, no one's really unhappy in the queue, because they know that they're gonna get some satisfaction once yeah. they get to the counter. Yeah. And you know, you're know you not lining up for the bank or the post office, you're lining up for Gelato, and um, yeah, they generally walk away happy, Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: I love that. From a from a growth point of view, is there anything you guys you know, is there any books or podcasts or, or people that you look up to, mentors that you look up to that help you grow? Or is it just something you guys are learning along the way? I
0: think it's something that we're learning along the way. Um, certainly I think our growth at the moment might have been my driving. Um, that I needed to do something else and to, to help to grow our business and, and realising, you know, that we need mental stimulation, which is part of that growth factor. Um, but I think we also are constantly looking at what's happening out there in other areas and I think, you know, even if we use Continental as an example, well, um, that group of people as as mentors, they might not think of it or know it, um, but we, we sit back and we look at what they're doing and the way that they structure their business and engage with their staff and uh, find the right staff who are there to work for them um, and how they how can we learn from that is, is what we're sitting back and looking at and, and implement that for ourselves. How do we look at businesses like yours and, and say what's happening in your environment that when we turn up on a Sunday morning and there's a queue halfway up the street past the Kmart that your staff are still bright and bubbly and they know exactly what's going on and you know, looking at those things and how can we learn from that what tools do they have to be able to do their job and how their bosses treat them you know those those are the big things i think there's a lot of
2: peers in the industry that we definitely look, look up to um friends you know uh, and other people that are just aspirational in, the, in how they run their businesses and and constantly you know strive um and you know they we eat out a lot and um and see a lot of people, and we've got a lot of good restaurants that, you know, their owners really care about what they do, and that is inspirational for us. It might not be in the same industry, but it's just about hospitality and about running a business and about, you know, um, doing good. Um, And we definitely, I mean, Messina, you can't not be inspired by what they've achieved through gelato, so, you know, um, customers always ask us what we think about it, and, you know, we think they're great businessmen. how can you not be like what they've done with with the product that we sell is amazing so yeah they're someone that we both you know are inspired
1: by yeah I love that I love how you guys like to give credit where credit's due and and that's very cool so before I got one more question but before we wrap up is there anything you think I could have added or asked in this podcast that will add value to someone listening
0: I think you've done a pretty good job at covering lots of thanks brother
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for the, for the plug there, I appreciate it. So, so, every question I like to ask at the end of every, um, every podcast is, is from Guy Raz, How I Built This. And he asks every guest at the end of his podcast, How much of your success do you put down to good luck and, and how much to hard work? <laughs> what should I say? Did that it's just all hard work. It's <laughs> all hard work. Yeah, even the, even good, the luck good luck, luck. is hard work.
2: Yeah. I think so. Yeah, um, yeah it's tough, but well, it's worth it. So, and there's no doubt that we've had some really lucky breaks, um, but yeah, it doesn't mean that we have just like
0: involved in the hard work department. I think that, the, that those good luck, those lucky breaks
1: have only come because we put in the hard work to begin with. 100%. And, um, yeah. Yeah. I love that. And, and I'm, I'm super excited. You guys are just genuine, beautiful people. You know, when I first, before I even knew you guys, I, I was excited about the gelato and the partner with you guys. But what's really exciting me is, is the partnership that we're going to work together. It's know good people wanting to work with together and create not just a great product but a great experience so super excited to work with you boys and i can't wait for the for the next journey the next step
0: we're looking forward to it too yeah thanks guys thanks (laughs) cheers